Hi folks, welcome to Hound Opinions. Alright, I'm going to start off this episode with some harsh reality from the rescue dog world. Not every dog is a good fit for every person or every family. Now generally, most people can accept that and when they're looking to bring a dog into their life, they look for one that's going to be a good fit. Now that said, there's an even harsher reality. Sometimes you don't know that a dog isn't a good fit for your life until after you've incorporated your dog into it. Now that's a much harder reality to accept. Nobody wants to think they've gotten themselves into an untenable situation, and nobody wants to feel like they're giving up on a dog, especially if that dog's already had a rough go and been given up on before. But the fact is, sometimes rehoming a dog is the best thing to do for both yourself slash your family and the dog. And that's what this episode is about. Back on the pod with me is Sarah Polk, who you'll remember from the episode about self-care. Sarah is a lifelong dog lover and mental health provider in El Paso, Texas. She's also a very dear friend who had to make the tough decision to rehome a dog that wasn't a good fit for her family. On this episode, we talk about how she came to make that decision and how she ultimately realized it was the right one, even if it felt terrible to make. By the way, I've had Sarah on for a couple heavy episodes, so I'm putting it out there that next time she's a guest, we'll talk about something a little bit lighter, preferably that doesn't make her cry. All right, thanks for listening, and here we go. All right, Sarah, thank you for coming back on to Hound Opinions. Um, you are, I told you, told you when we were first talking about this you are just the second ever returning guest so that's really that's really awesome i'm excited to to have you back um so this you know this is this is a tough topic and you know i wanted to bring you bring you on here because you have had to make the the real difficult decision to to rehome a dog that that you had taken in and um so i wanted to kind of kind of talk about that experience and and you know let people know that like it is you know it's something that happens to people and that it's not necessarily you know the worst thing in the world when it does um so first off talk a little bit just you know how did you how did you wind up with potato and and what you know sort of originally drew you to him so what happened with the potato, and I call him the potato and potato and gunner interchangeably. So, okay. Um, because his name, his given name was Gunner, and he responded to potato so much better as we were trying to train <laughs> him and stuff. I think it was like something about the consonants and it just stuck for him better. Okay. So he also looked like a potato. So he was a purebred tricolor Welsh Pembroke Corgi. Beautiful okay. dog. Love corgis. They've got such great personalities. Yeah. Um and a couple of our friends were in a relationship, got two corgis together. They had the first one, Orion. He was much more bonded with the female in that relationship. Then they got Gunner, who was much more bonded with the male in the relationship. Got it. Now, we were friends with both of them. When they broke up, she said, well, I'm going to keep the dogs because I paid for them and they're my dogs. She quickly realized she couldn't really handle um, some of the behaviors that the potato was exhibiting. Got it. Um, he and Orion really didn't get along very well. And um, previously, I think our friend had been, our male friend had been the one who was really kind of the enforcer and who was the one who would see the problem behaviors, correct them, and then keep them to where they weren't hurting each other. Got it. So 
And she wasn't very bonded with Gunner as it was. So she had reached out to our friend and was like, hey, do you want to take Gunner? Like, that'll be fine. And he said, well, I really can't. I don't I don't work a job that would make it okay for me. I can't have him in my apartment. Like, sure. No, I can't. So we as a group of friends had kind of discussed, okay, who can take Gunner temporarily? Right. And, and when Nick is ready for it and able, he can, because um, he was going to school full time at the time. He was working full time. He was like, there's, it's not going to be a good life for this dog. Got it. And I was like, well, I think we can, we can do that. We'll take him in temporarily. And that was the plan that it was supposed to be about a year. That okay. year came and went after we got <laughs> the potato and he was really, really bonded with me. Um, and even after that point where Nick was like, I am a little bit more stable. He's like, but I don't, I hate the idea of now putting him in an apartment where he doesn't have a yard. I'm sure. taking him away from other dogs that he has bonded with. Cause at the time, I mean, they were perfectly fine. All of our dogs were really good together. Um, and he was like, I really don't have the, the time, the knowledge. He said also kind of financially, it's not like, I wouldn't be able to take him to the vet and, and things like that. It's not a very Got smart it. decision. I said, that's fine. Like we love the potato. Like we'll keep him. If you're ever at that point where you feel like you can, you know, the option is there. And okay. I, I remember my friend saying like, he loves you so much. Like, I don't want to take him from you. I can see Aww. how much he loves you. It's like, I know I love him too. <laughs> So that was kind of the decision at that point. He was still coming and visiting. Those visitations kind of started to slow down a little bit because he was like, I want, I, it's painful for me to, to see him that way because I know it's what's best for him. Right. And during that time, we had started to notice um, at first when we would go to places like the park or um, going for walks and things like that, the potato would get really aggressive towards bigger dogs if they started okay. to approach Got it. He was still fine with smaller dogs. Um, so we would go to the dog park and actually I consulted with a behavioral specialist specifically for aggression. And so we did all of the training that was necessary of, okay, you know, you, you bring his focus back to you, you, you redirect this way. Um, right. Obviously we avoided situations if we could and things along those lines. Um, so we did a lot of work in that. And we also just kind of accepted he could not be around big dogs going to the dog park was a risky situation and we weren't going to do right. it to him. Sure. Um, my other three, they can go to the dog park, no problem. They run off, do their thing. He was always very anxious in that setting um, because even though we have a small park and a big dog park, there will be people who bring big dogs into the small dog park and they may be of very course. calm. But as soon as he saw them, he would be on alert. Got it. So we realized, A, we couldn't really have them around big dogs, which was fine. We were able to accommodate that. All of our dogs were, you know, 22 pounds or less. They were all fine. We did um, the, like, behavioral assessment, and then they came back, I think it was about three months later, to kind of check on where how we were doing, where we were going. And they were right. like, you know, he may just be a dog who can't be around big dogs, and that's okay. So yeah. that's fine. We did a lot of training to where when I had to take him to the dog store, to get him fitted for his harness. Um, you know, there was a dog walking by and he did his little growl. He sat on my foot because that was how he did it. He would sit on my right. foot and then he would look up at me and focus on me exactly the way we trained. Perfect. So he's trainable. It was good. Right. And things were kind of fine. Fast forward to the pandemic hitting. Right. Once the pandemic hit, I was home all the time, which meant... 
I was here to correct smaller behaviors that I started to notice had popped up with him and my dogs. Okay. And prior to that, I had known, like, he was very territorial around me and he was very territorial with food. So if a piece of kibble dropped, he would swoop in, vacuum it up before any other dogs even noticed it happened. What I started to realize being home and being the person who fed them for both meals consistently, the other dogs would actually back away if a piece of kibble fell. Sure. There wasn't even a them not noticing it to go for it. They would clear the room of it. Oh, wow. And I started to realize, okay, what's going on here? Like, I started to pick up on these things that I didn't notice before because I was wrapped up in my own, you know, I'm feeding them to feed them and go. Like, it wasn't part of my daily routine that was actually a really cool part that helped me keep my personal, you know, sanity during COVID. So I was here all day with them, correcting behaviors, um, you know, trying to, to reduce some of those things where I was like, I don't know how much this is happening when I'm not here. And I started to pick up on these things where he would be in the backyard. I would hear a commotion. And I was like that. I even asked my husband, I was like, have you heard, have you heard that kind of noise coming from the backyard? Never while I've been here. So it was always happening when we were gone because potato was smart enough to know, like if this kind of thing happens, Sarah picks me up, removes me from that situation. And then, you know, it's corrected. Um, Typically because he was so food motivated, we would give everybody else treats and he wouldn't get one. Like we would try to do things of then as soon as he was being calm, we'd give him the treat. Then like we were trying to do everything we could to give these positive reinforcements. Um, and help him help the other dogs model that behavior for him. So I started to notice those things. And of course, COVID had hit. I think that's when I, I had reached out to you because I was like, okay, right, let me I couldn't get a hold of the behavioral specialist we had worked with when it came to the whole big dog aggression. Sure. Um, because she had moved and stuff and I couldn't find her. So I was like, I'm going to talk to Bill, see what see what they have to say. So. And in having that conversation, you know, you were very much, well, you got to be consistent. You need to look at it from all these different. And it was great to have that person that I trusted to be able to give me that perspective. Right. And also to recognize, well, these are the things that I'm doing that are making this worse. Um, sure. You know, some of the the affection or the ways that I was encouraging the potato for certain things that then I didn't even realize I had been doing. So then I reached out to another behavioral specialist um, to have them come and... I knew this was during COVID, so it was pretty high. Right. And I was like, I'm willing to break this bubble for this. But um, it was April. So March had happened. It had been about a month of me noticing these things. And I think it was like late April. This behavioral specialist came and she was kind of looking and she was like, you know, I noticed there's actually a little nick on one of your dog's ears. And I didn't notice right. it. I didn't notice that there was this like nick that was that had been bleeding on right. Loki's ear. Um, and I even said, you know, it is, it's Loki who he has the most issues with because Loki is the one who's really, really bonded to me. Right. Um, Loki is the one who wants to play fetch. So when Loki brings me the ball, the potato will chase the ball too. Um, and then he'll take the ball away and kind of squat on it and keep it from Loki. Um, whenever Loki wants to cuddle, like the potato is trying to wedge himself between us. Right. You know, things along those lines. So, um, she was like, okay, keep an eye out for how he's interacting with Loki. 
more so than the others, but also, you know, pay attention to all of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For context, we had four dogs. So Right. Um, for anybody who didn't know that already. <laughs> so we had four dogs. Um, and she really said, like, pay attention to the dynamics between all of them. And when you hear those noises, take some time to look and assess before you just jump in. Like, look at what's going on and what all your dogs right. are doing. And that was where I saw Starbuck, our little resident monitor in chief. She was, she would actually then hump the potato into submission when he would kind of get out of line. Yes. Got it. It was really remarkable because he wouldn't snap at her. He was fine with hmm. Starbuck and he was fine okay. with Starbuck asserting authority over him. Right. But anything Loki did, even just watching them kind of from the other room, watching as Loki chased the ball or things like that, I would see Loki be very hesitant. Got it. He always gave a very wide berth. He would, um, he would avoid him really at all costs. If the potato came and laid down next to me on one side, Loki would make sure that I was between the two of them. Oh, so I really started to notice these things that I hadn't picked up on before because I wasn't there all the time and I was just missing it. I wasn't paying as much. Attention right. And then it all kind of came to a head, um, in late June. So she told us to do that. She came back a few weeks later and I told her, I was like, I am, I'm noticing these things. And I'm like, I, I feel really bad. I feel like I've let my dogs down. I feel like, you know, they're walking on pins and needles and yeah. I didn't notice. And she said, well, it probably happened really gradually. Um, especially because, you know, we did, we did like a month long trial where it was like, if they don't get along, we're not going to keep him. We'll figure out something else. Like, right. She was like, no, it probably happened really gradually. And you were right. You're here correcting behaviors now. So he is getting in trouble and he is seeing other things be praised that then he's not getting praised for. And, and right. like that. so it's, it's stressful as much as our dogs loved that everybody was home. Right. It was still stressful for dogs to go through that change of, oh, of course, home all the time. Yep. So she had come back. I think we did, um, we did like every other week. So I think we had only gotten either two or three sessions where she had come back and we had been doing some things to try to correct the behaviors. Obviously, I mean, I was walking them probably three or four times a day for my own mental health. Right. Um, so they were always exhausted or exhausted in a healthy way because normally I'd have to carry the potato for half of it because his tiny little potato <laughs> like, couldn't handle long, long walks. Um I got very strong upper body strength at that point, lugging around 25 pounds of corgi <laughs> dead weight. Um, but then it came to a head at the end of June when the figs were ready. And my dogs all knew how to pick ripe figs. They would eat the figs in the backyard pretty regularly. Okay. Yeah. It was this big, beautiful fig. Interesting. So all the, all the low ones, potato would get. And Apollo would stand on his hind legs and find the figs and eat them. And sometimes I'd be like, well, that fig's going to be ready tomorrow, but I need to save it from Apollo and it'll ripen like on the kitchen counter. Um, so I was out there picking figs. The dogs were running around and, you know, every once in a while I'd throw them a fig. And so I threw them all a fig of their own. When I threw the fig to Loki, Potato just full on attacked him. He got oh, no. by the rock of his neck. Oh, and it was like from one second to the next one second. He was eating his fig. He was perfectly fine to he went straight for Loki and he had oh, wow. a death grip locked jaw. Mm. So obviously I panicked and I right. 
grabbed him trying to get him off of Loki. Um, and then I had to manually open his jaws to get him off of Loki because he was even um, like jerking Loki around to the point where I was worried he was oh, going to cause serious damage. Right. And I mean, I know I probably shouldn't have done that because obviously he could have also turned on me and, and hurt me, but right. I was so worried about Loki in the moment. Yeah, yeah. So I then picked him up and I would, the way that we would do it, whenever he had an issue like that, we would literally just carry him around like a football, like just, you know, okay. cradle and hold on to him until his breathing slowed down, until his heart rate yeah. dropped, um, until he would get back to a baseline. Right. Um, so I did that. I carried him around for about 10 minutes. Okay. And in the past, there had been these situations where... I didn't have to pry him off of Loki like that. Right. And the 10 minute break was sufficient. But this time was different because as soon as I put the potato down, he went straight for Loki again. Oh no. He didn't even miss a beat. He just went straight for him. Um, sorry, I'm getting a little emotional thinking about it's it. All right. It's really stressful and really scary. Of course. Um, so I just remember having to do ex almost exactly the same thing. I had to pry his jaws apart again. Oh, wow. Pick him up again. And I was so upset because, A, sure. you know, Loki's in a lot of pain, obviously. Um, he didn't break the skin at all, thank goodness, but um, it still hurts. And, B, I was like, we've been working on this for months and right. really years because we had been working on it for years and I thought we had been doing okay. And I was like, I feel like I don't know what to do. We were sure. getting ready to leave. So at the time we had like a space inside and then they had the dog door to have the whole backyard. Right. Um, and I was like, I don't feel comfortable putting him in a situation where he's going to be around Loki right now. I want them separated. Definitely. So we, we got the crate out of the garage. We put him in the crate. Which he had when we first got him, we had he was crate trained, so we had crated him at night. Got it. We always have our dogs like whenever every dog we've gotten at the very beginning, we keep them in the crate at night, so they still feel comfortable with the crate. That way, whenever they've been injured or needed to something like that, they're still comfortable. They know the drill. Um, so we crated him for that. I don't remember why we had to go somewhere because I told my husband I was like, I don't feel comfortable leaving them. I'm not leaving them. I don't want them in right. the same together. This is not okay. This is not normal. Um, so we crated him. And as we went, and I don't even remember what it was, why I had to leave, but it was something that I was like, I can't, I can't stay here. I do have to go. Um, and I, I remember even saying like, we can't be gone for more than like an hour. I don't want him to think that this is a punishment for what happened because he needs to feel safe in the crate. But as we were gone, I was like, I don't know what to do. Like, I love him. I sure. don't, I don't want to give up on him and I don't want him to think that I'm giving up on him, but this isn't safe. It's not sustainable. It's not safe for anyone involved. Right. I cried, cried a lot. Yeah. Um, and I reached out to our friend Nick and I was like, Hey Nick, I just want you to know, like, this is, this is a problem. I don't know what to do. We've already done so much of specialists and um, trying to change this behaviorally. And I was like, I don't think that the potato can be around other dogs. I just don't yeah. think it's 
fit. And I think I had reached out to you even where I was like, I have had the behavioral specialist. Like, I'm sorry. I know you're my friend and I shouldn't abuse you like this, but I need someone to tell me that it's okay. Yeah. That I make this decision. Um, And I I told him, I was like, you know, he really needs a home where he's with kids because I don't think he's going to be good as an only dog all by himself. I was like, but he is so good with kids even toddlers, like he had such patience with toddlers being around him, screaming, doing all kinds of things. And he just wow. laid there and let them pull on his ears or rub his belly. Like, oh, wow. It was amazing. Yeah. We had our friend's kid there one time for like our Super Bowl party. So obviously everybody's on high alert. There are a bunch of people in the house. Sure. And I told my friend, I'm not worried about any of the dogs with your kid except for Potato, just because his center of gravity is like so much lower. The others walk on their hind legs that if they jump up a little bit or like she starts doing something and they like put their pot, they aren't going to knock her over. They won't put any weight on her, but the potato does not know that he is a missile. (laughs) And it's like, he heard me because literally later on, I heard um, Finley go like giggling and, and whatnot. And I saw her, she was stomping her feet and kind of shaking a little bit. And the potato was there and he was like, and then he just went belly up. It's like he knew I oh. cannot jump up on this little person. <laughs> I will hurt. Her. And so with kids, he was perfect. Okay. Um, every time we were ever at the park walking around, he would love on the kids. Like it was other dogs that was the issue. Yeah. So I was like, Nick, I don't know how to tell you this, but I'm really scared. Like I'm scared for us. I'm scared for my dogs. And I, I'm scared for him. I'm I'm really scared yeah. that he I don't, he's not an aggressive dog, but he does have dog aggression. Like, I don't think right. he can. Um, and so Nick was like, you know what? I'm, the bar is closed right now. Cause he was like a night manager at a bar. That was part of why he said, I don't want to take him because Got it. I'm never home. It wouldn't be fair to him. But he was like, the bar is closed right now. Cause of COVID I would have the time to be able to train him and get him used to the way things are. Like I've got the time that we can, you know, make it work. Okay. Um, and I was like, okay, are, are you sure? Cause I was like, if not, if you don't feel comfortable with that, or if you don't want to, like, I do have a friend who um, is really in touch with the Corgi rescue and they can help find an appropriate home that can also sure. help handle some of the Corgi things that are about him. Cause he was definitely like the Corgi personality. <laughs> um, that was the other thing he loved to do with kids. He loved to herd them around. He was <laughs> Sounds about right. Yeah where he thought they should be right Um, yeah he was so good at that and nick said no i think i can he said can i just have until like tomorrow or the day after tomorrow so that i can get him the stuff that he needs and i said absolutely like i can help you with that just let me know um so nick came and he took the potato right and he was like this is he's like it's gonna be fine and of course i was crying because i was like i love this dog i've worked so hard on trying to make it to where he has a, a wonderful life, especially after having had um, like some of the rejection that he had. I know when he was first dropped off with us, like he didn't even look for for his owner. He was oh. just kind of yeah, like that kind of thing. Like I yeah. know a lot of what was happening with him had to do with that attachment, um, especially the way that he was so attached to me and so territorial of me. Right. Um. And man, that dog was so food motivated. He would eat a pill. He would just chomp it. He wouldn't even think about it. <laughs> wow. Like, 
Yeah, you would just, if you accidentally dropped a pill for another dog, he would swoop in and lick it up. And it was just like, dude. That's wild. I have never seen a dog like that, that you didn't have to trick them in any way. He would just eat it. Yeah. Um, so it was, it was really heartbreaking. It was really hard, but I was, I think it helped that I knew he was going with someone who did love him. I mean, Nick loved that dog. Absolutely. Um, as much as I did, because obviously even the things where Nick was like, well, I don't want to take him. It was never, uh, I don't want to have my dog. It was, I don't want him to not have a yard. Like he's got a, he's got the yeah. life. Um, and things like that. So I knew he was going with someone who loved him and would put the work in to make sure that he could be safe. Right. Um, and he, he would update us at first. We kind of, we didn't go visit because we didn't want to like throw off some of the stuff that he was doing. And I didn't yeah. want to undermine him for Nick. And I started to notice things with our dogs that, um, like behaviors that after the potato was gone, ways yeah. that they started to relax. Right. Um, it wasn't until maybe two months later that when I dropped like a treat or something, Loki just kind of went over to it very casually and ate it. Okay. And it took months for him to get to where he did that as opposed to literally running in the opposite direction from right. Um, it was just, it was so strange to see things even within like Apollo. And I asked, I asked my husband, I was like, Hey, have you noticed that Apollo and Loki are wrestling a lot more now? And he said, yeah, Apollo is playing a lot more because I think that, the potato would get involved and Apollo is so docile that he, right. he is going to wrestle with someone. Um, he wasn't willing to play ball or anything like that because the potato was territorial enough and scary enough that he was like, I'm not going to. Yeah. Um, I would ask Nick, I'd be like, Hey, so, you know, how is the potato doing? He said, you know, he actually doesn't like fetch. I was like, what? There's no way that dog would play fetch for hours. And he was like, Sarah, I <laughs> the ball for him. And he won't go for it. Hmm. He was like, sometimes he'll tug, but like, he doesn't really like toys. Hmm. And I started to realize it wasn't that he wanted to play fetch the way that Loki, I mean, my Loki yeah. loves to play fetch. Right. He is a, he can go for hours straight. He doesn't, he just wants you to throw the ball for him. It was that the potato wanted to beat Loki. Right at that activity. He didn't actually yeah. want to play fetch. He would never actually bring you the ball to play fetch, but he couldn't stand it if Loki was doing that. And right. He wasn't invited or he wasn't part of it. Yeah. Um, so there were just certain things that I started to see these shifts in my dog's behavior after sending the potato with Nick. And it right. was, that was actually, I think, more heartbreaking because I was seeing all of these ways that I had been letting my dogs kind of fend for themselves yeah. that I didn't realize I had missed. And seeing the like level of anxiety that um, that his presence had really created, and it, it happened so gradually, and it happened 
even once we noticed it and we're trying to correct it, I think there was a part of me that was trying to be kind of blind. Of, right. Oh, we can fix this. We can do this. Like, we just need to be more consistent. We just need to yeah. figure out how to motivate him. We just need to make sure that we're putting these things in place to help him do better. Mm-hmm. And in reality, he needed a home where he didn't have dogs that he was constantly competing with and he could chill. Because I think he was always having to be on. And he was just really, really anxious all the time because he felt like he was competing. Yeah. And I couldn't com- I couldn't explain to him, like, dude, I love you. And like, you don't need to hurt anyone else or you don't need like you don't need to feel that way. Right. Like, one thing I could explain to each of my dogs, like for him, it was a like, dude, you can chill. Yeah. <laughs> like, You're safe. We're not going to get rid of you. Yeah. Um, and then I felt like I kind of lied in that way or like I let him down because I'm like, well, we did get rid of him. Right. Um, and there's a lot of shame associated with that. Sorry sure. That. No, that's okay. Um, so talk to me a little bit about like the moment when you kind of realize like, okay, the potato can't stay here now. Like what was that moment? And like, you know, how did you sort of reconcile that moment with like, I have been doing all this work and I've been trying and I don't want to feel like I'm like I'm giving up, you know, so what what was that for you? Uh, obviously, it was really, really emotional. Sure. And I really I, I am a big fan of vulnerability and I will say um, I think I did let it go too long. I, okay. If I could go back in time, I probably would have talked to Nick sooner. Sure. Um, rather than letting it get to that point. Because at that point, I was at like a end of my rope where I was like, if I can't leave the two of them alone together, I don't know what that's going to look like. Because right. I am going back to work at some point. I mean, there's just yeah. no way going to be here all day every day forever that was also only month three of the pandemic so we all still had right sooner (laughs) rather than later as opposed to you know two years later we'd be back to things um but so i think it was it was the fact and i think it may have been very helpful that there was the pandemic so i was able to focus a little bit more on those behaviors and those things yeah and really just have had to be very blunt and very honest with myself about it. Okay. Um, because even, even my husband had said like, no, I mean, we are here so we can keep them safe. And I was like, but we can't, what if that happened? And I was inside and right. it took me 20 seconds more to get there. And Loki's neck was snapped or gashed open. I, I cannot let my own, like my own anxiety will not rest with that being a potential. Right. Um, so I think the fact that it was really grounded in a safety need yeah, made it a little bit easier for me at that point. I really just kind of wish that I had come to that conclusion earlier. Sure. Um, the behavioral specialist during that last visit, that was when she said, she was like, you know, I'm going to be honest with you. Some dogs just cannot be around other dogs. Right. And that's okay. You can try. You can do everything. Um, 
and I kind of, I heard her voice and I, I saw the messages between you and me. And like, I, I thought about all of these different things and I was like, you know what? It's, it's not fair to him either. He's obviously stressed out. Right. And I don't want him to feel like he does have to compete this way. Yeah. Um, so I think it was, it was really hard. It was very emotional. It was driven by a lot of fear, but also finally acknowledging um, the reality of the situation. Yeah. Uh, and trying to be what all of my dogs needed as well as myself. Obviously I need a, right. I need a level of peace of mind that if I am in a room and I hear a growl in the other room, I'm not potentially going to find a dead dog. Like that was cause I automatically went to the catastrophizing of sure. That's all that it could have taken is me having been inside potato going after Loki in those moments and me not being there to claw his jaw. Well, totally. Yeah. Um, so it, I think it made it easier that I had someone who I knew loved him. And yeah. who would be able to, you know, take him in, not label him as that, you know, well, I don't want this dog because he's aggressive, but actually provide him the home that he needed without other dogs. Right. Um, and even if it hadn't been for Nick, if Nick had said, like, you know, I really can't, I, I don't want to do that or, or something along those lines. Um, I do know that, like, the Corgi Rescue, the local Corgi Rescue would have helped because okay. I, I do have that connection. They had yeah. even offered before when okay. I had said... Um, you know, I need to find a home for this dog. We might take him, but we're not sure. And they yeah. said, you know, we can help. We'll, we'll help find him a home that's appropriate and that knows exactly what they're getting into with a Corgi and that is vetted and right. The agreement and understanding is there that they'll take care of him. Sure. And I was like, okay, that's fine. Cause obviously I don't, I didn't want him to go to a shelter and, and things like that. So I think it helped that I had. Even if it wasn't for Nick, I knew that there was a safe option. Right. Um, that would meet his needs. Yeah. And, you know, provide him that that life that he deserved, which is yeah. and need, which was to be an only dog. Yeah. And and what did it feel like you know, you said that like a lot of sort of coming to this dis this decision was was kind of grounded in fear and grounded in anxiety and and all of these things. But like, what what was that realization like when you realized that like I'm in addition to doing this for me and the other three dogs, I'm also doing this for the potato. Like, you know, how did that sort of change things? I think that really came as Nick started to talk about his behavior in his home. Okay. And how he was super chill and how he didn't want to chase the ball, how he didn't even really want to tug with toys. Like he would walk yeah. around with a toy, um, but he wouldn't engage in some of the more aggressive forms of play, um, which he would definitely do. And I realized too, Loki wouldn't play tug with him. As soon as if Loki had a toy and Potato grabbed part of that toy, Loki would drop it. Right. Um, but then he would play, Potato would play tug with a person. So he sure. would bring you a toy and try to get you to try and take the toy from him. But, um, you know, especially in noticing that he, that second time when he went for Loki, 
I was just kind of looking at him and I was like, he's not, he's not in his right mind right now. There's something right. else here going on because he has done the training. He has demonstrated that he does know. He knows that he is supposed to focus on me when he's around bigger dogs. Like he knows right. these things he's supposed to sit. He's supposed to do this. He like, he knows those things. He is physically incapable of controlling this impulsive behavior right now. And that's not his fault. Like it's, I mean, I, even with people, I'm a therapist. Like I know we have things where we will just react. Right. Are incapable of controlling those impulses. And he's a dog that I can't explain and be like, dude, you're acting impulsively right now. How are we going to fix this? <laughs> right. Um, so I think, you know, the realization in that moment of he can't control this and I'm being unrealistic in expecting him to be able to. Yeah. That's not fair. Right. Um, and seeing the behaviors that were so different once he was with Nick where, you know, he wasn't competing with other dogs for affection for, I mean, obviously he was never actually competing with a dog for food here, but right. feeling like he was, you know. Yeah. Um, I just think it was, it was after the fact that I was like, okay, this was entirely the right decision, not just for the safety of the other three dogs and not just for my own anxiety and fear. It really was the right decision for him because he didn't have to be on. Right. All the time. Sure. Um, so, you know, I want to shift gears just a little bit. Um, so, you know, it took you, you know, it took you some time to sort of overcome this idea of like, you know, I don't want to give up on, I don't want to give up on him. And you, you know, you've done, you know, you've done all these things. You've spoke, you've spoken with, with behavior specialists, all these, all these things. And you've tried everything to, you know, to make things work and, you know, and still somehow it didn't work out. And, you know, I, I, you know, I want to want to kind of acknowledge that, like, the ability to do that and to say all those things, it comes, you know, that is a that's a privileged thing. You know, we have that privilege. We have that, you know, we have that ability, you know, and, and you know, we are both, you know, we're both white people. And so we we have that, you know, privilege as well. And so and and, and it was a purebred corgi. I mean, right who was ready to take this exactly whereas you know a dog that has a bad reputation it's harder to rehome or things along those lines like exactly that went into this that made yeah decision. exactly and so you know the, re the reason i want to i want to kind of kind of acknowledge that is because you know there is you know this stigma that you know you clearly had to overcome about you know rehoming a dog and and all of that and you know so and there is still you know especially in in the rescue world you know people will, who rescue dogs tend to say like oh i you know i could never give you know could never give up on the dog and and all this stuff and like you know i think what would you what would you say to someone who you know who was sort of in your spot and who you know is sort of at the end of their rope and can't, you know, and they, they just don't know what to do, but they're also feeling like, oh, I can't, you know, I don't want to give up. Yeah. 
That's a good question. (laughs) So I think one of the hardest things that I had to come to terms with was it's not necessarily a reflection on you and what you were willing to do, but also what are you actually able to do and able to provide? Sure. (laughs) That's okay. Got a dog asking for attention. Of course. Of course, by all means. He's adjusting today. Yeah. He just got put on some old man medication. So he's oh. out of balance. Aw. Yeah. Um, sorry. Okay, so to back up. I think really it's looking at less of a, what am I willing to do? Because I'm willing. I'm willing to pay the money. I'm right. I'm willing to spend the time. I'm willing to do those things. But what am I actually able to do? in this situation and am I able to ensure the safety of everyone involved? Um, Is it really fair to them to do that? I think the other part of it too, and this is something that I will say as a therapist that I will tell people in terms of patients where you're saying, um, you know, I'm, I'm too attached or I'm, I'm, I'm in this situation. If you're looking at it from a client driven or a dog driven perspective. So I'm thinking about this dog and what do they need versus what do I need right now? Am I not sending them to a home that is going to be what they need or not giving them right, giving up on them because that's what I need. Right. Or is it because it's what, they need. Because in those moments, I'm sure if the potato could talk, he was, and it was heartbreaking for me to think about how he maybe thought that he was abandoned again, or um, like, oh, well, now I got to start over again, even though he was with Nick. So he did. He had a person, this person loved him. He loved this person. But I was kind of like, you know, how crappy is that, that this dog who had attachment issues to begin with, Right. So attached to me. And here I am proving to him that he's unlovable or, you know, all of these Mm -hmm. things that I was putting on it that maybe he did feel, I don't know. I don't know how they think. I don't know what his thoughts were on it. Um, But am I putting my own needs and thoughts and projections onto what he's actually needing in these moments? Right. And that, like taking that step back, and I think because I do have professional training in that, right. in terms of how I'm working with my patients and my my clients and what they need as a therapist, right? Um, I mean, I've had people where I've had to say, you know, I know, I know you love me as your therapist, but this is not a healthy relationship because of X, <laughs> Y, and Z. And I really do need right. to help transition to someone else or things of that nature. Um. I think I really just tried to focus on it on that. And this is what he needs in this moment, even if it breaks my own heart, because I love this dog. Put so much time, energy, love into him that this is what's best for him. And if I really want what is best for him, it might not be my love. It might be something that is actually really painful for me (laughs) to be able to, to give him. There was even a moment, um, I think it was about five months after we rehomed him with Nick. And 
So I'm sorry, this is really sad, but the potato did pass away within okay. a few months. Oh. Um, and it wasn't, I, and I remember the first moment when he told me, he wouldn't tell me how he passed. And I was like, I swear, if you let him be around a big dog and that's what happened. I, and I had this knee jerk reaction of you killed my dog. Right. Like, and this was to my friend who I know. Of course. Yeah. This dog. Right. Hmm. But I had, I couldn't help it. I had that knee jerk reaction. Um, and I had to kind of step back for a minute and I was like, okay. And I thought to myself, this happened because you, you gave up on him. It happened because you weren't there. Right. And it didn't, it, it really sure. didn't. I know that I can rationalize that, but I had that moment of, you know, if you hadn't given up on him, if, if you had been there, you could, you should have worked harder. You should have done all of these things. Right. And it takes a lot to be able to give yourself the grace of acknowledging the reality of your situation and the reality of what your needs are and their needs are. I okay. am almost exclusively a rescue dog person now. Um, when I right. grew up, we did have some, you know, purebreds that my dad got and, and had the the training and everything with it. But I am now a person who definitely goes and gets the dogs that have some of those behavioral issues or attachment issues. And I, I pride myself on being able to give them that safety and, and also the space to, okay, that's, that's kind of just one of their idiosyncrasies because of what we experienced and and we're going to give them that space. And I think for the, for me with the potato is I was having unrealistic expectations of my abilities too. Right. Because I couldn't give him what he needed what he needed was to be an only dog. And it was so stressful for him to be around other dogs. And I know even knowing how it's all ended, I know I couldn't have saved him from what happened. Um, right. He wasn't attacked by a dog. It was something completely different. Okay. Um, I know it wasn't something that like Nikki did on purpose. I, I, I know right. all of this. Um, and I like to think that I'm happy that he was at least able to have a few months where he was at peace in his home as opposed to feeling like he had to be on the attack all the time. Right. Which takes a lot of kind of reframing your own thinking. And I'm good at that because I'm a therapist, but I can see where people would really struggle with it because they're so stuck in the, I can't give up on him. And I, I didn't give up on him. Right. I gave him what he needed. Yeah. And I think, I think that's sort of the important thing, you know, and that's really what I, what I was hoping that, you know, people will will take away from this because like it is, you know, it's that realization that, you know, it's not fair to have a dog in a position where, you know, they're set up to fail. Exactly. And it's the same, like, if you have a dog that's not good with kids, why are you going to have them in a home with kids? Right. And it's not something to be ashamed of to say we need to rehome them somewhere where they're not going to be around kids or dogs or you know, whatever it is that they need, because otherwise you're not meeting their needs. Yeah. There's only so much you can do with some things that are beyond your control. And that's the other, that's sort of the other important side of it, I think, because, 
you know, there are dogs, you know, like like in the case of in the case of the potato where, you know, he was he was rehomed because, you know, a situation was changing and, you know, and then rehomed again because of these these behavioral issues that that happened. And, you know, I think, you know, we we again, there it goes back to that that stigma about how, like, you know, we're, we're sort of conditioned to think that like, no matter what you have to somehow make it work. So, you know, if your housing situation changes, you have to, you know, you have to find a way to, to keep the dog or if, you know, if you have kids and you didn't plan to have kids or something like that, you have to, you have to figure out a way to, to deal with it. But like, you know, the thing that is kind of coming through in all of this, I think is that, you know, there are things that change that are beyond our control, whether it's, whether it's housing, whether it's behavior, whether it's having kids, whatever it is, there are these things that change that are beyond our control. And, you know, so I think we all have to figure out sort of at what point are we, you know, sort of hanging on to the dog to our own kind of detriment because, you know, we, we talked about this on, on the other episode that we did too, about how, like, if we're not able to, you know, be in a good place ourselves, you know, whether it's what your dog be in a good place. Right. Exactly. You know, whether, whether it's, we're not in a good place in terms of our own, like mental health can, you know, how, how does that affect our ability to care for our dogs or, you know, more tangibly, are we not in a good place, you know, you know, because of like our housing situation or something like that or finances. Or finances. I've seen people be, they feel so ashamed of being able to, of having to say, I really can't afford my dog. I can't right. afford to get the medical care that they need, or I can't afford to, to feed my family. How am I going to be able to afford a dog? Right. And I know it's, it's hard to see that as a person who loves dogs and who is like, I would never do that. Or I, right. I will figure out how to feed my dogs or whatever it might be. I think it's important from that perspective to also offer these other people or to offer yourself to, or, or people going through that situation, the grace and the, the ability to defer that judgment of you probably don't know all the circumstances. You probably don't know all the things that they have tried or are willing to do or able to do. Yeah. Um, And if we can all just give a little bit more space to remove that shame and stigma from it, then everybody can be that much healthier, better off and, and meeting the needs that they have for themselves, for their dogs, for everyone involved. And it's, and it's heartbreaking because you have to, like, you have to be more willing to put your dog's needs before your own, even if yeah. you mean that you aren't what that dog needs. Yeah. And, and it's, it's tough because trust me, I loved the potato. I have never <laughs> bent over backwards so much for a dog that was also simultaneously driving me absolutely bonkers where I was just like, <laughs> dude, if I could explain one concept to you, it's that you <laughs> have to be this way. Right. <laughs> like, <laughs> you are going to get fed. You are going to be loved. It's not. (laughs) Um, But I can't, I couldn't do that. Right. And so why stress him out as if I could get that through to him? 
and that is, I think, the best place to leave it, um, because that is that's exactly you know what I wanted people to to take away from it, and you know, and just sort of make it clear that like doing these things, you know, you are acting in the best interest of your dog by making sure that, you know, regardless of whether it's you providing those needs or not, that they are getting what they need. And, you know, as hard as, as hard as that is, you know, it's, it's okay. You know, it's not something to be ashamed of. It's not something to be, you know, um, to feel bad about because you are, no matter what, it proves that you're, no matter, no matter what the circumstance you're doing right by them. Um, and I will say it hurts. It hurts a lot. Of course. And I, for anybody who's going through that kind of decision, I completely feel for you. Um, I don't know what the circumstances are, but if, if you need to take that step back and acknowledge your own hurt is what's driving whatever is going on, just give yourself that space, give yourself that grace because it's not an easy decision to make. Um, and yeah, I, without knowing anyone else's circumstances, <laughs> especially now, I completely get it when someone is saying, you know, I need to rehome. I, I don't think anybody who loves dogs and who has gone through whatever they've gone through with their dog goes into it thinking I'm going to, you know, dump this dog at my first chance. Sure. I think that that is so cruel to think that someone would be that way. Um, don't yeah. get me wrong there horrible people out there but I think for the most part when someone is trying to rehome a dog if you pause and think what would it take for me to have to rehome my dog and kind of give them that grace a little bit um, try to pull back from that potential shame because it's a hard thing to admit yeah it really is sure sure well thank you so much for for being a part of this um definitely want to want to have you back on the podcast again maybe next time we'll tackle something a little bit lighter um yeah, not try to cry during these things yeah let's let's, no, let's, like... let's 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 make that the goal for next time um okay, so you know we'll do we'll do something time. yeah something 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 happy but i mean the thing is you know again this you had do like end of life for pets <laughs> or something you can already feel it like <laughs> um no but it, you know the thing is you know if, if it wasn't clear already and is that like this did have a happy ending, you know, even though, even though, even though, you know, even though the potato didn't, didn't live a whole lot longer after it. Like he had those, he had those few months where he, where he was in a good set, where he was in a good spot and he had that piece. And so, you know, during sort of the, the end of the end of his life, he knew that life that he deserved and that, and that he needed. Absolutely. I think that's, um, you know, and even just knowing and seeing the healing that has happened with my dogs. Yeah. That's also really important. I mean, I don't think I can underscore how much just them, it took months, it took months for them to not kind of be tiptoeing yeah. around and to be excited about dinner time again. Right. Like it was, <laughs> so it was things that I looked at and realized, oh my God. Yeah. This, this was happening and it was severe. It was severe enough that I'm noticing how much calmer they are now. Right. Um, so really it was a happy ending kind of all around. Um, even if for the potato, it, it wasn't as long as I would have loved for him to have 
have lived beyond that, but it was something completely unrelated and unavoidable. Entirely, right. So, well, thank yeah. you. And, you know, um, I'm, you know, I'm glad I'm, thank you for being, being willing to be so, so honest about this. Um, it's, it's huge. So thank you. And, you know, again, thank you for part of recovery and coming back from things like this is helping to yeah. share and like making meaning. So if this helps any other person, it's worth it. Good. Even though you're trying to make me cry. <laughs> thank you, Sarah. <laughs> Thanks, Bill. Thanks for checking out Hound Opinions. If you like what you hear, we'd appreciate if you gave Hound Opinions a good rating on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bill Mayeroff is the owner and chief canine officer of Big Wag Chicago Dog Training and Dog Walking. You can find Big Wag Chicago online at bigwagschicago.com. You can also find Big Wags under the handle at bigwagschicago, all one word, on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. You can find Big Wags on Mastodon and Discord by searching for at Big Wags Chicago. If you have a dog question you'd like answered on a future episode, or if you just want to say hi, email podcast at bigwagschicago.com. Hound Opinions is a production of Big Wags Chicago. Bill Mayeroff is the editor and producer. The executive producers of Hound Opinions are Winchester X. Puppington the 17th and Bodie Johnson. Thanks.